This segment of Grape Encounters is presented by the incomparable wines of Cardella Winery, a favorite of everyone here at Grape Encounters. Purely delicious, purely amazing. Learn more at cardellawinery.com. On today's edition of Grape Encounters Radio, we will take you where no wine show has ever dared to go before. Here's a little taste of what's to come. You got a number for me? Uh, yeah, there's 147 in the United States. <laughs> 147. Seriously, it's got to be the hardest profession just about on planet Earth to be. Forbes or something listed the exam as the hardest exam to take in the world. So not to scare anybody off, but you know, <laughs> be prepared. This can be very hard on marriages, relationships, certainly if you're working while you're doing this. And now from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. It's time to enjoy an hour of the really good stuff on Grape Encounters Radio. Heck, we may even uncork a bottle or two of wine while we're at it. Here's David Wilson. Peel me a grape Crush me some ice Skin me a peach, save the fuzz for my pillow. And it is time for your weekly grape encounter. And there's an event coming up in November that you've probably heard us talking about here on Grape Encounters. They're a sponsor of the show, actually, and so glad to have them on board because it is the end all to beat all when it comes to getting a higher level of wine education. It is called SOMCON. It's taking place in San Diego on November 16th through the 19th. Boy, if you want to learn more about wine and actually spirits and beer as well. This is the place that you want to be. It is for people in the industry, but they're also inviting the serious enthusiasts as well to be there. You still have the opportunity to get on board. And we're so glad to have on the line with us to talk about this and other things. Eric Entrican, he is a master sommelier and the director of wine education at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits for California. And Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, David. Pleasure to be here. Hey, that Southern Glazers may throw people a little bit because I think people are more accustomed to calling the company Southern, right? That's correct. Yeah, Southern uh, last year merged with another major distributor, which was Glazers, which Southern was really East Coast and West Coast, and Glazers kind of held the middle of the country, and now we're kind of countrywide. So talk for a minute, and we'll get into what you do and what it means to be a master psalm, but just to give an idea. You joined the company fairly recently, but these large distributors, I don't know that the average listener really comprehends just how big these companies are and how many SKUs that they have in their catalog, because it's just, it's mind-boggling to me when I look at a catalog from a company like Southern, and you see just the thousands upon thousands of different wines and spirits that they have available. What are we talking? Do you know? I don't know the the full number off. I mean, you obviously are right. It's in, you know, multiples of thousands, but, you know, there's several different divisions in Southern and they all kind of handle different parts of that portfolio based on kind of what the style of that division has to offer. You know, there's a division called Artisanal, which mostly handles spirits because that kind of the craft spirit industry has gone crazy lately. And then there's a division that handles, you know, more of the boutique style of wines. And that division has done, has done extremely well. So, you know, there's just multiple divisions at Southern and they all do a great job of getting the product into the marketplace and 
exposing it to people. So your title is Director of Wine Education. And to clarify, is that wine education internal as well as external? In other words, are we teaching people within the company and also sharing that information and your knowledge with customers as well? How does it work? Yes, it's kind of multifold. And there's a portion of it that is in-house. And several of the things we do are in-house. And there's when people are hired newly on at Southern Glazers, within 60 days, they're required to go through kind of a basic wine training, which is you know relatively comprehensive if people don't have much wine knowledge about varieties, regions of the world, that sort of thing. And then the company also offers and also you know pays for our employees to go through many um, multiple certifications, whether it be the Quartermaster Sommier certifications, the Wine Spirits Education Trust certifications, the Society of Wine Educators certifications. We've introduced some new programs for California wine specialists, Italian wine specialists, and spirits and sake as well. So there's several different, you know, depending on what an employee is focusing on or a salesperson is focusing on in their division, uh, we have all those angles kind of covered and we keep expanding it. You know, it's amazing to me is we, I think most of our listeners know, have a brick and mortar wine tasting room. And it's just amazing when our representative from Southern comes in, the wealth of knowledge that he possesses. And it's not unlike the kind of knowledge that you find at the distributor level with a lot of people, there is so much to know and you can really, you could really embarrass yourself. I mean, let's be honest, if you walk in and try to sell wine and don't have that kind of grasp on it, and it's got to be just a daunting task to assimilate that much information. Yeah, it is. But it also makes them, you know, much more efficient at their jobs and much more relaxed in their jobs. And so I think that's very important for someone. If, you know, I think the worst time I had when I first got into wine sales, I walked into a supermarket and he said, what SKUs do you have in the supermarket? And I said, what's a SKU? Yeah. So, <laughs> so, you know, I think, you know, just having, you know, I learned on the street all the terminology and all that kind of stuff. But I think it's hugely important for people to value education and to take it to heart. And I mean, I don't think people get in this industry unless they're really interested in the products anyways. Yeah. So I think that, you know, that kind of carries through and hopefully we get the best and brightest working for us and they really add value to the company and do a great job and feel comfortable with themselves. You know what? I now have a fear that when I used the word skew earlier on that maybe I threw a few people, but we're really just talking about the number that identifies individual products and it's just how many different unique products are in the catalog and each one of those is a skew. We're talking to Eric Entrick and he is a master sommelier and director of wine education at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits for the state of California. Let's jump over to you personally and what it takes to be a master sommelier. And before even answering that question, I guess my first question is, have we stepped into a completely different world now where being highly educated in a field like wine is much more important or maybe more than that? And I'm going to use the word sex. Is it sexier? Are you a sexier person, Eric, because of your knowledge of wine? Um, my wife would say no, <laughs> but, um, but I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think it's really opened the doors for a profession. And I, I think kind of alluded to this question a little earlier when we were talking offline, and that was the fact that the psalm profession really never used to exist. I mean, when I started in restaurant, I was a, you know, I went from being a server who knew something about wine to the guy in the restaurant who served tables, but also ran the wine program to a manager who also ran the wine program. And so I think just focusing strictly on wine, the demand for that level of knowledge, not just in 
the psalm profession, but through all levels of the spirits and beverage industry, really has kind of taken force. And you have to be educated. I mean, you know, everyone's got a smartphone. All they have to do is pick up a smartphone to disagree with you. And then, you know, they have that information at their fingertips. You know, coming from the internet may be accurate, may not be. But at the same time, I think that being educated is your best defense against that. And yeah, I think it's gone on. I mean, there's been a lot more attention to the psalm profession lately. And I think that's good in a way. And I also think sometimes there's some drawbacks to that as well. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, we're all wine service people. Whether we work in retail, restaurant, or wholesale, you know, we just want to present the product and present it in a good light and, you know, turn somebody on to something new or interesting or just something maybe they're familiar with, but they really love it. And those are all aspects that make my job fun. But but I got to imagine that going back some years and not too terribly far back, that the term sommelier was something that an older generation understood, but may have been lost on a younger generation. And oddly enough, it seems to me, and I, you know, I have no scientific proof to back this up, but being a psalm and aspiring to be someone like you, a master psalm, is particularly attractive to the younger generation. And the master psalms that I've been lucky enough to get to know are very hip, very cool people, and they skew very young. Yeah, I think, well, I'll agree with you on that. I think that, yeah, there has been more attention brought to the field, and there are younger and younger people going through the program. Huge pool of talent we have in the court right now. Some great people and, you know, a lot of very fun people. There's a lot of people outside the program as well that are doing great things in the industry. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to take a little break here, Eric, but let's do this. I'm going to ask listeners to grab a piece of paper or whatever you can write something down or just get it in your head. I want you to guess how many master psalms there are in the United States of America and in the world. And when we come back, I'm going to ask Eric to answer that question because you are going to be absolutely shocked. I mean, think in terms of, well, how many brain surgeons are out there? How many airline pilots are out there? And then with that kind of thinking in mind, think about how many master psalms might be out there. It's going to shock you. And uh, we'll talk about it in just a second when we return with Grape Encounters and my special guest, Eric Entrican, Master Sommelier and Director of Wine Education at Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. And we'll return right after this. Red or white, let me know. Hits of sea breeze on the nose. Toffee, melon, touch of smoke, autumn leaves, and some oak. To compliment your meal for real, the Roth child completes your meal. On your date, you can't wait to taste your cheese plate. The brie is great, the blues first rain, screaming eagle. Oh, eight caps all from 93. Your great. Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue right after this. Because I am your sommelier, got a bottle on the way. Let me help you find someone This segment of Grape Encounters is brought to you by SomCon 2016, the ultimate educational and informational event for wine professionals and serious enthusiasts taking place November 16th through the 19th in San Diego, California. Get more information at SomConUSA.com. Welcome back to America's number one wine radio show, Grape Encounters with David Wilson. We're back with 
Grape Encounters Radio. Hey, imagine taking an exam that is only taken in a given year by, say, 50, 60 people where only maybe two or three are actually going to pass. That's what it takes to become a master sommelier. We've got Eric Intrican, a master som who passed in 2014 on the line with us, and he is an integral part of SOMCON, which is coming up November 16th through the 19th in San Diego. If you sign up for this event, you're going to be able to benefit from the knowledge of people like Eric. It will be the experience of a lifetime. And Eric, first time with SOMCON for you? No, I was there last year. I was you were there last year? Last year. Yeah, yeah original um, advisors that they put on when they went into a full conference. They had events kind of devoted to it prior to that year, but they ran them in combination with the San Diego Bay Food and Wine Festival. And even though this is run in connection with that as well, it's still a separate conference. So we teased at the end of the last segment, just before we went to the break, and asked listeners to kind of get a mental note of how many people they think are master psalms in the U.S. You got a number for me? Uh, yeah, there's 147 in the United States. <laughs> 147! Um, I mean, seriously, it's got to be the hardest profession just about on planet Earth to be. It's got to be the hardest thing to do. Yeah, Fred, uh, yeah, Fred Dame, the former president of the Court of Master Psalms, is kind of the president emeritus and kind of the founding member of the Americas chapter, you know, he's mentioned that I think Forbes or something listed the exam as the hardest exam to take in the world. So not to scare anybody off, but, you know, <laughs> be prepared. So why does a guy like you decide he's going to do this? Because, and we were talking about this uh, during the commercial break, that this can be very hard on marriages, relationships. Uh, certainly, if you're working while you're doing this, this is going to be incredibly hard on your career, your current career. I mean, this is absolutely grueling. So did you know that going into it, or did you get a big surprise once you got yourself immersed into it. I got through the first two levels of the court program, the introductory and the certified pretty easily just on inherent knowledge. I'd been in the wine industry for quite some time prior to that, mostly in wholesale, but I had started in restaurants. And then when I got to the advanced exam, that was a very, very difficult exam and I really had to study a lot. And, and so at that point, I was in a restaurant currently at the time. It was uh, Alexander Steakhouse in Cupertino. And they were a restaurant that actually has steakhouses go. They were one of the third steakhouse in the U.S. to get a Michelin star. And I think that it was interesting. I went down to three and a half to four days working a week as opposed to a full five, six days a week schedule. And then once I passed my advanced exam for the year between my, or the year and a half between my advanced and master exam, I took, I went down to a two day a week schedule and took about a 60% pay cut just to be able to focus. Oh my gosh. Was there a point when you said, nah, maybe I should just stop right here? Um, No. 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 Okay. It was, I mean, first off, it was something I, I love. I love wine. And it was just something I was very interested in doing and completing. And I just was really dedicated to make it happen. So, and I, you know, I, I kept getting, I didn't get kicked in the face too many times in the master exam. Oh, that's as, lucky. A for, as a former mentor and master told me that I hadn't had enough failure in the exam when I missed my first master exam because I hadn't failed any of my previous exams. So uh, he said, this is good for you. And I said, I guess. So, <laughs> so, uh, All right. So I'm going to ask yeah. you a question that I hope you've never been asked before. Okay. So from the time that I was very young, we had a piano in the house and I never had piano lessons, but I learned to play by ear and I could play songs that were fairly 
fairly convincing as good songs, well played, you know, just learning on my own and observing. And then I tried to take piano lessons, but failed miserably because I had to relearn from a completely different perspective. How much of that is true when you decide to become a master psalm? Are there a lot of old habits that you had to let go of? Um, There wasn't too many old habits. I really did have to learn their tasting methodology, which is something that was very different to me. And they really do something that is more designed around objective tasting. Like if I'm going to describe a wine to 90 people in the room, I want to be able to describe it in the most common descriptions and terms that almost everyone in the room is going to understand. If I'm going to use really esoteric stuff or I'm going to use very personal biases in how I think or feel about the wine, it doesn't really tell the room exactly what the wine tastes like. But your good friend Ian Cobble, one of the, I think, most memorable moments in the movie Psalm, which he was a star in, is when he references a flavor in the wine, or maybe it's a scent in the wine, as being that of fresh-cut garden hose. We've all been there. We've all cut a garden hose and have just taken a big whiff of that. Yeah, I guess, I guess. So would you consider that to be a common term then? is that Does that fit into the scheme of things that you're talking about? I think because of the fact that that's the one thing you mentioned, I would say no. Because I think that, you know, if I was to discuss a wine, if I was to talk about Sauvignon Blanc as having grapefruit, maybe if it's a New Zealand wine, having kind of passion fruit, I mean, I think those are commonalities to people. I, I mean, I would have used a descriptor more like petrol or gasoline or diesel fumes or something like that yeah. to describe that aroma and Riesling that he gets as, you know, but I can understand what he means. I mean, I definitely cut rubber hose. I understand that. But, it, you know, like I said, not everybody's going to know what that means. And so yeah. you are going to have to use a terminology that makes it more sense to the, the wider public. Yeah, I have toiled with that question and specifically that metaphor because I do know that smell. And we certainly, we all know the smell of the first rain of the season when it hits the pavement. And it's a characteristic that you will experience in wines. But, you know, and I think maybe people don't think about those things. And, you know, it's very interesting. Now, let's talk about SOMCON for a second, and then we'll get into that right. in more detail after the break. But it's taken place in November, right in the middle of the month, the 16th through the 19th. What can people expect from that event? And who would you encourage besides industry professionals? Are there lay people that you would encourage to go to that event? Yeah, I certainly think that if anyone, if they look on the website, there'll be several of the seminars that are open to the public as well as some seminars. Seminars are specifically trade-oriented, but those definitely uh, open to the public. Anybody who's a serious enthusiast, and we've had all types of people come down. You know, last year I you know, encountered a lot of fairly psalm-heavy, but there's definitely a wide mix of anything else. A lot of retail, a lot of distributors are there as well. And the presenters, I mean, I, I was amazed last year with the scope of presenters we got and what they were talking about and the, the depth of seminars. My only regret from last year is I didn't get a chance to go to more seminars as opposed to conducting most of my own seminars. So I, yeah. you know, I'm hoping to this year maybe be able to sit in on a couple more seminars. But And it's a great environment. The one course that I'm teaching that I kind of originated was a service-oriented course called The Nightmare Scenario, Dealing with a Difficult Guest. Oh, And I just thought it was a, an interesting angle to throw out there because I know there's a lot of young psalms in the field and a lot of them show up to these events. And, I, you know, I think they could benefit from hearing you know, some of my experiences, but not just mine. On the panel, I've got, I've got Chris Blanchard, who's a fellow MS who's worked in Napa and many other places around California. I have Chris Miller, who's at Los Angeles, uh, who is Spago's former wine director, and also worked in, in uh, Vegas. And I also have Evan Goldstein. And, you know, so through wow. 
four MSs with, you know, cumulative total probably of 80 plus years of dealing with the public in restaurants. Wow. Okay. Well, listen, hold that thought for a second, because it reminds me of a scenario from just a few days ago that I encountered, and I want to hear your take on this. So we'll come back. We're talking to Eric Entrican, Master Sommelier. Man, you know what? There are just a handful of him in the entire country, really the entire world. It's just about the hardest thing you could possibly aspire to be. But boy, once you get there, it does, I think, open up a lot of doors. And we'll talk about that as well when we return with Grape Encounters. Don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. Drink Chianti at Arco Santi, but never Spumanti. Welcome back to America's number one wine radio show, Grape Encounters, with David Wilson. Cork of Bordeaux. In New York, from Calais, your palate will blossom on Broadway. You can trust us to find the right kind of wine, whether white, red, or boxed. We cater to whimsy, no reason to flimsy. Dial a sommelier. All right, if you want a wine and spirits and beer education by immersion, you need to clear your calendar for November 16th through the 19th. Find your way to San Diego and get yourself enrolled in SOMCON. This is really one of the absolute greatest opportunities that you will ever, ever, ever have to learn so much in such a short period of time. And I think one person who would back me up on that claim would be Eric Entrican. He is a master sommelier. One of, how many are we talking about worldwide master psalms? There's 230 worldwide and 147 in North America. 23 of them are women in North America. So that's an interesting fact. Why such a heavy slant toward North America? That's a good question. I think that it's become very popular to go through this program. And I think maybe your question earlier about it being a sexy profession, maybe that's something to interest people as well. Do you personally feel sexier now that you've become a master psalm? I don't. Okay. <laughs> All right. I don't. All right. So we've got this plethora of seminars that will be going on, a lot of other things. Can you just give me kind of a rundown of what a person might expect when they go to SOMCON? Most of the events take place on Thursday the 17th and Friday the 18th, and that's where all the seminars are focused in. Their seminars are going based on tastings, different varietal profiles, different regions of the world, retrospective and vintages. There's a lot of seminars designed around business, a lot of seminars designed around, you know, just how to taste and, you know, tasting. There's another seminar that I'll be a part of called uh, Taste with the Masters, which basically you get in a room and we kind of blind taste wines and we kind of go back and forth on what we see in the wines and discuss the wines in front of the audience so they get an idea of our kind of methodology and how we think about how we approach blind tasting to wines and how to identify certain varieties and regions of the world. And then there's a, you know other seminars like the one I'm doing called A Nightmare Scenario, how to deal with a difficult guest. This seminar is designed 
design around service and what that means in the industry because uh, we all want to improve service wherever we can. Okay, so I want to go back to that because I had an experience probably about a week ago. A couple comes into our wine bar and they admit early on that they had been drinking scotch earlier in the day and apparently quite a bit, but they didn't seem intoxicated. I started pouring wines for them to taste and the woman who was a part of this couple wasn't liking anything. And I mean, Eric, I was pulling out the stuff in the back room, trying to find anything to satisfy this customer, wines that were foolproof, and I couldn't win. And I did something. My wife looked at me like I was nuts. I said, you know what? I give up. I I just said, I give up. I don't think I'm going to be able to please you. And I do think that her palate had been seriously influenced by scotch, you know, and that can can happen. So Mm -hmm. what does a guy like you do in a situation like that? What do you do? Yeah, I would, I mean, first off, you never win a war going up against somebody and selling them they're wrong or something like this. And so that would never be my approach. But I mean, knowing that they came from scotch and their palates were already probably blown out, I would have explained that to them. I'd say, you know, it's going to be very difficult for you to taste these wines because the flavors in scotch are so much more powerful than the flavors in a lot of the wines. I mean, if they insisted on it, insisted on it, I would, you know, I probably would have taken them to something that was a very big palate cleanser, something like Chablis or something like maybe Muscadet. It would have really high acids that might counteract it a little bit to where moving forward, they might be able to kind of like start being able to taste the wines a little bit more. But again, you've got to ask, look at also being a responsible server of, of, you know, and if they, obviously you felt they weren't intoxicated, that's fine. But somebody came in and said, we've been drinking scotch all day. I would say, hold on. I don't know if I, you know, I don't know if that's going to be okay with the management for me to pour you wine. So those would be the questions I would ask and how I would kind of approach it. But obviously you got to, you know, your customer is your customer and your guest is your guest. Well, you know, and the problem is, is that we live in a Yelp world. And Mm -hmm. this is the scary part is that if you mistreat a customer or if they perceive themselves to have been mistreated, they will penalize you in many instances. And you don't want that to happen because that can be very damaging to a business. I did the first thing that you suggested. I explained to them what the impact of the scotch probably was on their palate. The second idea is purely brilliant and I it didn't even occur to me. Okay, so this is okay. the kind of thing that I might learn in your seminar. Yeah, yeah. Those things and many others, I think it's going to be a blast. We'll have a lot of fun discussing what happened in certain situations. I think Chris and the two Chris's and Evan probably have much better stories than I, I'm going to have as far as that, which makes me happy because I'm glad I'm the moderator. I just get to listen to what they're going to be talking about, but it should be a lot of fun. Did I make a mistake by folding? In other words, by saying, you know what, I, and I was really apologetic, but I said, I, I don't think I'm going to be able to please you. You know, the funny thing is, is that once I threw in the towel, they became cooperative and suddenly everything I poured, they liked. It's interesting. I mean, sometimes that's what it takes. If you just admit defeat, you know, maybe that's their game. That's what they're looking to do. And so it's interesting. I've dealt with a lot of guests that have been very difficult and there's no like one way to handle it. It's almost like you have to read that person at the time. And I think you probably did the best thing saying, look, I tried everything and I can't find something that's going to work for you. And that turned them around a little bit. So that was good. It could have gone the other way. They could have gotten really angry with you, but I mean, it didn't. It went that way. Well, I think I, I think I folded in a very humble way. (laughs) Is there ever a time, Eric, that you use your certification? Is there ever a time that you pull rank that you are dealing with somebody that's so obstinate that you finally have to find a subtle way to say, well, wait a second, I've done my homework and I've earned the right to pull rank on you? Mm, Never. (laughs) 
Never. Never. And I'll tell you why. Because, okay. because I think that every person that approaches wine, most consumers approach wine from a purely subjective viewpoint. And I don't have a, you know, inroad into what their reality and what their world is right. as far as wine goes. And so their perception of it might be completely different than my perception of it. So I want to give them the opportunity to explain that to me. You know, I may be opening up Domaine de Conti for them and they may say this is awful, but I know it's one of the best wines made in the world. And so I can't implore that on them if they don't want to accept it. So I'm right. I'm more really willing to listen to what people have to say. And when I worked at Alexander's, one of the things I would, the first question I would ask is I said, what do you like? You know, I mean, what do you, what do you enjoy in wine? And people would often say, I don't know anything about wine. And I'd say, do you know what you like? And they would say, yes. I said, then you know everything you need to know. So it's just a process that, you know, yeah, I've learned a lot about wine, but I mean, the more I know about wine, the more I know I don't know about wine. And I'm more confused today, I think, about the wine world than I was 30 years ago when I first started learning about wine. I try to be mindful of what I call the pink house analogy, which is that, you know, somebody moves into a neighborhood and they suddenly paint their house pink when everything else is just sort of neutral earth tone colors. And everybody gets in an outrage, the neighbors that is, because of this pink house. And, you know, you have to remind yourself of the fact that the person who painted their house pink actually likes their house pink. And it's important to know that and to understand that where wine and spirits and really even food is concerned, that everybody has different taste and we're not always going to be able to empathize with their taste. Maybe I should make one little correction there. The okay. one, the few times that I've actually pulled rank on somebody was when it was another sommelier. Oh. They were trying to influence somebody else and I would go in and interrupt them and say, maybe you should rethink your approach to this guest or this, this customer. You know, as far as that goes, I think with so much information about wine and the world out there to learn and digest and Jancis Robinson's great book lists 3,000 grape varieties that are commonly made into wine. I mean, just having, you know, a palate memory for that kind of stuff is just mind-blowing and I think, you know, there's no room for anything other than humility in the face of a subject matter that's so vast. I think that's such an important point and I think one of the things that really is impressive to me is as we see more and more highly educated people come to the forefront of the wine industry, we also see more understanding and humbleness as well and compassion for the wine drinker who is, you know, they they know they just love this. And I don't think that you can convince somebody to love something that they don't like. And I think people in the wine industry used to try to do that. And I think there's a lot less of that that goes on now. I think there's a, a much greater understanding and appreciation for the fact that we're all different. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, Eric, hang on for just a second. I'm going to hold you over for just a couple more minutes because there's a few more things I really want to ask you. So do you mind hanging on? Not at all. Okay, very lucky to have hanging on for just a few more minutes. Eric Entrican, he is a master sommelier. He will be one of the many people that have this kind of credential and at your service at SOMCON coming up on November 16th through the 19th in San Diego. You can undoubtedly get a room somewhere around there or Airbnb whatever you got to do, sleep on a park bench. But by all means, if you're interested in wine and you'd like to learn a whole lot in a very short period of time, this is something you really seriously want to consider. We'll talk just a little bit more about what it's like to be a master SOM, the wine and spirits and beer industry, and SOMCON 2016 when we return with Grape Encounters. Your Grape Encounter with David Wilson will continue from our Central Coast Wine Country studio in the quaint, friendly, and historic town of Atascadero, California. 
don't forget to join our Grape Encounters Radio Facebook group page, where incredibly fun people just like you share ideas and frequently get together to share a bottle as well. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Vincent Price. I think all of us like a touch of elegance in our lives now and then. I certainly do. I am, of course, talking about inviting a few friends for dinner and serving wines with every course. It's so easy and everyone enjoys it so much. You know, we Americans are basically a very friendly, informal people and somehow we feel embarrassed about doing things in a formal, magnificent way. And we shouldn't. And back for just a few more minutes with Grape Encounters. And always a privilege when we can get a master psalm on the air. Such a very difficult thing to become in this world. You have to have very high aspirations and a great deal of devotion to becoming a master psalm. On the line with us is Eric Entrican. He is a master psalm since 2010, right, Eric? That's correct, yeah. Yeah. So I want to talk about blind tasting now because this is something that is so fascinating to me and something that I... I really try to practice as much as I possibly can. Got a lot of friends, a lot of wine friends, I should say, that get together for dinner parties and things like that. And we almost always try to bring the wines covered in a brown paper wrapper. And it makes it so much fun to enjoy the wine in the absence of any outside influence, the label, knowing the varietal, that sort of thing. People have a fear that they're going to get it wrong. They're going to get the old world versus New World wrong or the varietal wrong or whatever. I think that's one of the most important things, don't you, to teach people is that you're going to get it wrong and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. Blind tasting is one of the most humbling experiences you'll go through if you go as far as preparing to be a sommelier. And I think that one of the interesting aspects of it is that, you know, when you start off, you're wrong 95, 98% of the time unless you really are familiar with some wines. Is that right? Um, You think it's that high? I think it's that high. I think it's that high. I mean, they may get one part of it or something like that. I'm I'm taking it from the point where somebody doesn't have a lot of wine experience and they'll call it something. And I think wine tasting is like a muscle. You work it out, you get stronger. And it's one of those things where you have to continually do it. And uh, I've been teaching at the International Culinary Center in Campbell, California for the last five years after I left Alexander's Steakhouse. And we teach a program called the Intensive Sommelier Training Program. And we do blind tasting in, in class quite often. And I tell people, developing this palate profile, developing, you know, varietal profile of what's in the grapes, knowing where the those wines come from as far as region of the world. All that takes time. And even though you don't feel like you're improving when you first start, you are improving because you're building that palate memory. And soon people will be in the program. It's a 10-week program. People will be in the program. And maybe week three, they say, wow, I'm picking out all these things I never picked out before. And it's just a process where sometimes it just takes longer to develop that strength in that part of your brain and your palate memory. Okay. So as a master sum, I know that people want to stump you, right? You know, And they do. They do. And they do. And and do they get some sort of gratification? It's probably a good thing, right? You know, you're a master some, and it teaches them that even somebody with your level of education and understanding is going to get it wrong, that it's not that easy. Yeah, I mean, even even 
some of the best tasters in the court, and I'm, I'm not one of them, but even some of the best tasters in the court, they're wrong 40, 50% of the time. So wow. I think that it's not about getting it right. It's about the methodology. It's about how you consider the wine. If you're close, you know, if you're in the ballpark, and I mean, there's, you know, if I was going to blind taste a white wine and I was going to call it a Napa Valley Chardonnay and it's really French Chablis, I think that would be pretty far off because structurally the wines are kind of completely different. Flavor profile, they're completely different. But if I was calling it not necessarily Chablis, but I was calling it maybe something like make an A wine from Burgundy, or if I was calling it even a different variety like Sauvignon Blanc from Loire Valley, there's similarities in structure and characteristic between those wines. So it's more about the methodology and how you get there and less about being accurate. And I think that's the important thing to remember when people first blind taste. If they're getting kind of in the ballpark, maybe not nailing the wine, but kind of in the ballpark, that's an important step in learning how to be more accurate. And it's only over time are they going to be able to be able to start getting the wines on a more frequent basis. There's an event that's going to take place at ZomCon called Blind Taste with the Masters. Can you give me a, a little bit of insight as to what that is and how that's going to work? Well, the first hope is that I don't make a fool of myself, but basically it's a blind tasting. We don't know what the wines are. The format may be a little different this year than it was last year. Last year, it was myself and two other masters, and we took apart a flight of about six different wines. We didn't know what the wines were, and we described them to the audience and looking, and then we asked for some feedback from them about what they saw in the wine, and we kind of honed in on like what they were talking about, said, well, maybe it's a little bit more like this and see if we got agreement with people. And then they get a chance to kind of see our methodology and how we approach the tasting. And then we talk about the cause and effect aspect of why the wine tastes the way it does. That gives you clues as to where it comes from and how it was probably produced. Wow. Okay, so at SOMCON, there will be master sommeliers, masters of wine, sommelier candidates, winemakers, wine and spirit retailers, distributors and importers, and then, of course, we're inviting serious wine enthusiasts. For that serious wine enthusiast that shows up there or somebody that thinks that they'd like to start a career in the wine and spirits industry, how much more confident will they be on the 20th of November versus the 15th? I think a little education is great. I mean, I think it'll open up the doors for people and really show them what's out there and show them kind of the paths they, they would want to go down, depending on what you know segment of the, of the wine spirits industry they want to follow. But I think huge. I think it would be huge for them to have that knowledge walking out of the door saying, hey, I know so much more about this subject than I did when I walked in. And certainly it would help them to decide whether or not they want to go to the next step, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's another question for people. When I started in the court system, my goal was the Master Sommelier program and or the Master Sommelier Diploma. I didn't really say, well, I'm going to stop at one level. And that's just kind of how I pursued it. But everybody has a different path. That's valid for everyone to work out what's best for themselves. I think this is a great conference to be able to give people an idea on how to get there. And San Diego is a wonderful place to visit. Yeah. It's a great town. And like your comment, if you're going to go sleep on a park bench and get to SOMCON, I mean, if I'm going to have to sleep on a park bench anywhere in California, San Diego would probably be the place I want to do it. But yeah, it's, it's a great hey, They do it at Comic-Con. They can do it at SOMCON. <laughs> Ooh, definitely. Anyway, it is taking place on the 16th through the 19th. You can get more information on their website. It is SOMCON. Con and that is S O M M Con USA dot com. Somcon USA dot com. And by the way, remember the craft spirit world, the craft beer world, they're exploding just like the wine world, and you're gonna get a lot of insight there as well because those are equally interesting fields. You know, they cross over in a lot of ways, but you may want to focus on one or two or or all three of them. So that's an important part of this event as well. And then there's gonna be 
be a lot of people from the trade there and opportunities to meet a lot of interesting people, experience a lot of products. There's just so much. We can't even cover it in an hour. It's amazing. Anyway, Eric, I appreciate you being on. It's just such, pleasure, David. Great to agree. such a pleasure. I'm going to meet you in person in San Diego. I will definitely be there. And you can go to grapeencounters.com and there will be a link to SOMCON as well. So you can check it out there as well. I really encourage you if you have a strong interest, but you've got to be a seriously interested person in this or you're somebody in the industry that wants to move up to the next level. This is where you need to be. And Eric, I can't thank you enough for being on. My pleasure. All right. We'll see you next week. That's going to do it for Grape Encounters this week. We'll have Sarah Schneider back here next week. We really felt that there was so much to cover this week and she'll be here. So we'll see you next week right here on this station on Grape Encounters Radio. Grape Encounters Radio.